it is a very good afternoon. It is Niall Boyle and welcome along to the Niall Boyle podcast this afternoon. Lots to get through and you may know, of course, that Ron DeSantis in America has now entered officially the presidential race, giving Donald Trump a run for his money and giving the Democrats a run for their money too if he manages to poll. Now, at the moment, he's polling quite low compared to Donald Trump. But of course, now that he's entered the race and he's getting a lot of publicity, his polling will probably go up. But here's the thing. A lot of people are saying this is great and it could be for America. It will be a complete change from Joe Biden, but certainly it will be a conservative government. Now, as you know, I would consider myself a conservative. But then again, do I really want a very conservative government? Because it was interesting, if we go back to the 1950s, when Ireland was ruled by, I suppose, the religious Iron Fist, we were a very conservative conservative country. But then the pendulum swung the other way, and now we have what we would consider to be an extreme liberal government. If we want to swing it back again, we could go too far. So there is a danger of that. Joining me to discuss this today is Senator Jared Crogwell and also ancient representative Eric Nelligan. Thank you, gentlemen, uh, for joining me today. Now, first of all, let's have a quick listen, if we can, to what um, Ron DeSantis said last night when he was in an interview, which was the biggest spaces or online interview, which was conducted, by the way, nonetheless, than Elon Musk. Have a quick listen to what he said. Well, let's see. So, yeah, Governor, there's been a lot of speculation over the last couple of months about your your plans. Um, I understand that you may have an announcement to make. Uh, We've got, I think, a, a record audience assembled here. Uh, you know, the, probably the biggest uh, room that's probably ever been assembled online. I, what, what would you like to tell them? Well, I am running for president of the United States to lead our great American comeback. Look, we know our country's going in the wrong direction. We see it with our eyes and we feel it in our bones. Our southern borders collapse. Drugs are pouring into the country. Our cities are being hollowed out by spiking crime. The federal government's making it harder for the average family to make ends meet and to attain and maintain a middle-class lifestyle. And our president, well, he lacks vigor, flounders in the face of our nation's challenges, and he takes his cues from the woke mob. I don't think it has to be this way. American decline is not inevitable. It is a choice. And we should choose a new direction, a path that will lead to American revitalization. We must restore sanity to our nation. This means embracing fiscal and economic sanity. Stop pricing hardworking Americans out of a good standard of living through inflationary borrow print and spending policies, and please embrace American energy independence. This also means replacing the woke mind virus with reality, facts, and enduring principles. Merit must trump identity politics. We must return normalcy to our communities. America's a sovereign country. Our borders must be respected. We cannot have foreigners pouring into our country illegally by the millions. We cannot allow drug cartels to poison our population with fentanyl. Okay, guys, if you listen to that, it's quite reminiscent of a lot of the problems that we seem to have and the debates that we would have on a regular basis here in Ireland. He's mentioned quite a lot of things, which is identity politics. He's mentioned the woke mind virus. He's mentioned immigration. He's mentioned pricing people out of a decent cost of living or a way of living because of the cost of living. Um, A lot of things that affect us here in Ireland. And he's going to do something about it, according to what he says. He's quite charismatic, in fairness, very similar to Donald Trump, but certainly seems to put his sentences together a lot better. First of all, Jared, if I could come to you. I mean, at the moment, would you consider Ireland to have a liberal government? Absolutely. I I think um, we have gone (coughs) 
really since I came into politics, we've moved more and more liberal uh, over over the years. Some of it has been good. In fact, most of it has been good that we shook off the shackles of the past. But there is a tendency when you move into uh, the liberal area that people try to capture it then and try to make it even more liberal. And I'm, I'm particularly mindful here, for example, I was one of the only men in the Shannon during the passage of the uh, uh, gender recognition bill that actually spoke in favour of the legislation. But no sooner was it passed than people wanted to reduce the age of, of um, uh, uh, I suppose the right of those to transgender uh, below 18. And mm. um, this is what happens in, in, in when you start bringing in li- liberal legislation. If it's not liberal enough, people for even more. And well, I am Well, we do know con- that Ron DeSantis only this week brought in legislation, as we know he's the governor of Florida, he brought in legislation with a jail term for any doctor who prescribes puberty blockers for a child under the age of 18 for a gender transition or performs any surgery. And in other words, if you're a doctor and you do any of those things, you can go to jail. Now, this has been criticised by many states in America, but Ron DeSantis is quite happy to do it. The people of Florida seem happy about it because they call him Ron Santa Claus. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the, the truth of the matter is you, you could agree with some of the stuff he's saying, not all of it, but you could certainly agree with some of the stuff he's saying. And um, I, I would have serious difficulty in anybody prescribing anything for children that are under 18 years of age. Uh, I, I, I think there are too many factors involved in the transgender argument, for example. Okay, uh, so I would have difficulty. Okay, the, the other the other question I'll come to you before I come to Eric is immigration, which is obviously a hot potato in this country at the moment. The government seems to be ignoring the will of the people, from what I can see. And anybody who's a dissenting voice is called extreme right wing, uh, even though most of them are probably not; they're just concerned citizens. We don't seem to want to cap numbers. We've seen a report that came out yesterday in relation to the majority of people that are coming into the country. The vast majority have no documentation, false paperwork. Some even identifying as minors who are not actually minors at all, and nobody seems to be checking anything. But yet, we see Rodrigo Gorman continuing to say, we will continue to keep doing this. Do we have to stop at some point and take you know, take stock of what we're doing and say, well, hold on, let's just close it off for a moment, come back to it in six months when we solve the, the problem we have for accommodation and everything else. And also, should we be checking people more vigorously? Yeah, I, I went to Sicily at the request of the Italian government in 2017 to look at the migration that was taking place across the Mediterranean. Uh, soon after observing what I saw there, uh, two things, I, I, two comments I made. One was that they were not refugees by and large, they were economic migrants. And secondly, that it was our fault. And when I say ours, the people of the West, we have stripped every possible asset we could out of sub-Saharan Africa and out of the other countries that are migrating here. And we can't blame them for wanting to come for a better life. The Irish have spent generations uh, uh, migrating to different parts of the world. So we take a very hard, some people in this country take a very hardline view of migration. My own view is that Europe uh, the great European Union we're all party to should be investing in these countries in order to keep people at home in their, in their natural environment. Um, I take grave exception to some of the right-wing stuff that I'm seeing happening. As, as I do. The burning of tents or standing outside hotels telling them to go home is not a way to deal with the situation. But certainly what I would say is, and I might say this to you, Eric, when we see the atmosphere at the moment and the landscape, particularly when we saw in Ennis last week, and I saw these 
concerned citizens being referred to by the government as right wing. And I looked at a picture of these people who look quite innocent, to be honest. They certainly weren't right wing. They were concerned uh, citizens. Do you think, Eric, by policy, by government policy in relation to immigration currently at the moment, they're driving people against each other, essentially? Unfortunately, you're right. Um, I was at a meeting last night with the, the A2 Midwest meeting and there was a number of people from Clare there. And these are normal concerned citizens, normal people like what you would have seen in your um, in the images from Clare, from mm. Ancient County Clare, not people that you would associate with the far right at all. But there are segments of society that label them far right. I would consider myself a centre left person, but the views I hold now are now considered right wing or moving right or whatever you want to call it. That's mm. the way society has gone. Society has moved. Um, where the, the the standard view of someone is if you don't agree with what's been espoused, you are now right wing. So everybody, I would say it's likely 70% of the population could be classified as right wing because if you hold any common sense, normal, reasonable position, that's now considered right wing. So to go back to your to immigration to your immigration point, I suppose what what, what I would look for and what A2 would look for is a country has to have the right of self-determination over its own borders. The Irish people are very welcoming, as can be seen by how we how we accommodated and we were very helpful to tens of thousands of uh, Ukrainians that came here under our need. The Irish people stood up, and we and we left we left we left should them we, all but in. Should we have capped those numbers in relation to? And I think there is two different sections when it comes to immigration, and we seem to have this sympathy and understanding when it comes to Ukraine because we genuinely know there's a war there. But when we look at say people seeking international protection, and the vast majority seem to be coming from Georgia and Albania where there is no war. Actually, I looked up yesterday on um, one of those tour guides online, and Georgia is considered to be a safe country. So I have no understanding as 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 Jared rightly pointed out, the, um, the majority of those would be economic migrants coming in with no passports, claiming to be from somewhere else. Should we take a tougher, hard line? And also in relation to Ukrainians, should we have capped the numbers? As much as we might want to welcome people in the current crisis that we're in with accommodation, should we have capped numbers? Uh, when you look back on when, this, when, the, when, the, when the Ukrainians were moving here initially, there was no talk of capping them. But we, we actually came to a, a timescale where our, where our ability to host people was, was gone. Like we had the government asking people to take them into their houses, for instance, and paying a, a very small sum to help accommodate them. So we, we got to that level. So the government were weak at the start. The government did not want to be seen to be saying, no, we, can't, we can only take 10,000 or 20,000 or 30,000. They didn't want to put a number on it. So what we had is we got to a stage where literally the facilities in the country could only host, I think, around 75 to 80,000 as far as I know. There were around those numbers, to the best of my knowledge. But, ne but then we're talking about a separate, the economic migrants are a separate kettle of fish. As a country, we should have the right to say we can give visas to people that we need help with. And there are, look, we definitely have segments of the population or segments, segments of industry where there is labor shortages. So, like most normal but isn't that, isn't do, that why Roderick Gorman is now saying that he's going to uh, reduce, I suppose, the criteria in relation to getting a visa in Ireland because we have a shortage of people in hospitality or unskilled workers, I suppose, in hospitality and construction? But at the moment, you just come in. You come in. You can come in legally or illegally. No, actually, more to the point, many you come in illegally. Yes, yes, exactly. So, at the moment, it's not there. We had a situation where Roderick Gorman put out in nine different languages all around the world 
come to Ireland and you have your own door accommodation within six months. So that's what happened. That led to the influx. As we all knew. We all knew that was never going to happen, and unless exactly. we're given some sort of pipe dream. Okay, getting back to what I talked to Senator Crogwell about in relation to Ron DeSantis. Look, Ron DeSantis is clearly conservative. He would fit well with Ain Two, I would imagine, to some degree. Uh, but some of his policies have been criticised. You know, I mean, they call it the "Don't Say Gay" bill, of course, which was criticised in the United States. His education bill, which is not being able to teach gender ideology or LGBTQ plus education in schools has been criticized by some people, mainly outside of Florida. Um, do you agree with his policies and do you think that kind of conservative government would work in Ireland or is that swinging it too far the other way? Well, I, I suppose what you see in life, look, I, I remember back when I was in college and we were, I had a lecture and she said everything in life is cyclical. So what's, what's strong in one period of time and a couple of years later, or a couple of decades later will be weak and that's, that's the way it is. So what we see at the moment is in America, the, the pushback has happened in America and if if you agree with if you agree with what you 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 notice out there is Ireland could be ten years behind America. So things that are happening in Ireland now probably happened in America ten years or so ago. So mm. what we are looking at is if we don't if in Ireland if we don't moderate if the government don't moderate their tendencies we are likely to have in five or ten more years when things if things keep going at the same pace we're likely to have a strong pushback and we don't want a strong pushback because if we have a strong pushback we see things like what happened uh, when the tents were burnt. Uh, there last week in Dublin. Well, there's or no excuse for that, like is there? Or, you know, I yeah, mean, there, there, no is, there, there no. is actually no excuse. And by the way, no. I, I mentioned this during the week when I saw the video of an immigrant coming out swinging an iron bar at the local residence. Of course, that was wrong. I also then saw the residents beat him up. Of course, that was wrong. I saw them set fire to the tents. Of course, all that was all wrong on both sides. But I, I don't blame all of them. I actually felt sorry for them all to some degree. I blame the government because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. Bad policy had them there in tents in the right. first place. They should have either been refused entry if they weren't legitimate uh, asylum seekers or indeed they should have been supported if they were legitimate. So it's bad policy that has them like that. Uh, getting back to you, Jared, in relation to Ronda Santez and America, and I suppose what we're talking about here is this cons conservative. Do you, do you believe that Ireland could go back to some degree to having a government that actually had an opposition? Because... I don't know about you, but I don't believe there's an opposition in government anymore. I think we've lost opposition. There was a time, if you remember, we had the Progressive Democrats, we had Labour for the Working Party, Fianna Fáil were Conservative, Fine Gael primarily Liberal. Now we see them all basically, as they say, cheeks of the same arse, essentially all agreeing with each other. Is that the way you see it? It's funny that you mentioned that. Um, I, I gave a statement to one of the newspapers last week where I said uh, Sinn Féin are no longer a party of the left or a, a party of revolt or rebellion or whatever you want to call them. They're moving into the centre ground, stealing Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil's clothes. And what we're going to have in the next election is a very, very large number of those putting themselves before the electorate who are in the centre, uh, slightly right or slightly left. And uh, there, there will be. It will be very difficult to find a credible um, uh, opposition in the next government. It, and you're right, Kyle. There's not really a credible opposition here at the moment. There's a lot of populism that goes on in government or in the in, in the houses of the Oireachtas, but real serious opposition. Uh, to well, we've we, we, we've seen part. Sinn Féin, who were popular in the last election because people wanted change. I don't know if the people wanted Sinn Féin, but they certainly wanted change and they thought they wanted something different. But what we're seeing lately with Sinn Féin is them basically doing a U-turn on almost everything they've said in the past. I mean, I don't know whether that's just populism, as you rightly said, to get into government. And I don't know whether Mary Lou will be the next Taoiseach of Ireland. There is predictions out there that it could be a Sinn Féin, Fine Gael and a sprinkling of green in the next uh, government. 
I don't, I maybe don't see that. I, I maybe don't see it until Pierce Doherty becomes the leader. Maybe that's very sexist of me, but I, I don't see Mary Lou being the Taoiseach of the country. Do you? I am honestly. Um, I think there is a possibility, but my my gut feeling tells me we're going to have something similar to what we have at the moment. More Some of the sort same. of a mismatch mm. between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, and somebody else. Um, well, then, the well, then, well, then we're heading for more liberalism, aren't we? Because they seem to be saying yes to everything. When we look at what's happening in Ireland, let's take two of the most recent things that we've seen and been debated, which are the hate speech uh, legislation, the new proposed hate speech legislation. And I don't for one minute believe that even half of the 110 uh, TDs that voted in favour of that actually read the legislation. Because if they did, and they sat down with a solicitor and read it, they wouldn't have voted yes for it. Well, they said, well, mind you, they would have lost the whip if they hadn't have. And then we had the education bill, which again, we're being told whether you like it or not, this is the one that's coming in for the junior cycle next year. And by 2024, 2025, this will be coming in in uh, primary school as well, which con uh, contains gender ideology and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people are not too pleased about that as well. But Leo Varadkar, in his yeah, own words, to grip media, when he was told that 70% of the public submissions disagreed with the hate speech laws, he said that didn't really matter because they were doing it anyway. Yeah, the problem we have at the moment, and it's, it's a matter of huge concern to me, uh, we have a civil service that's running the country and we have ministers that are not standing up to the place and standing up to their civil servants. Is it the and civil servants or is it the NGOs that are running the country? Yeah, and I, I think NGOs have, a, have a, an inordinate um, uh, level of control or access through the Department of Foreign Affairs. We support an, an extraordinary number of NGOs in this country operating within the country and outside, uh, and I have difficulty with that. But the, the truth of the matter is, if governments want to run a piece of legislation through the houses, it's usually legislation that was drafted by the civil service. I'll give you an example, if I may. The Air Navigation and Transport Bill came to the Shannon, having successfully passed through the oil. The Irish Airline Pilots Association were totally opposed to it because it left out some key things for airline safety. I held that bill on my own for two and a half years until eventually I got the minister in charge to admit that actually the people who wrote the legislation were the people we were trying to regulate. Uh, and that is wow. what goes on in this house. That is what right, goes okay. on in this house. So we don't have the, the type of ministers and Tishi we used to have in the past who tell the civil service what to do. We but, now have a situation but we don't have robust debate anymore because we've seen in the houses of the Oireachtas and the Shannon, we've seen people like, say, Sharon Kogan. Okay, she's conservative and she's conservative views. I've spoke to Sharon a few times. She's a very nice lady and we've spoken to her. Uh, you may not agree with her views, but isn't that what debate is all about? But every time she stands up and says something, she's usually insulted or silenced. The same thing happens with the government. Anybody says anything about immigration, they're either insulted by being called an extreme right wing or they're silenced. The same thing has happened in the media. Anybody who speaks out, they're silenced, do they lose their job? I mean, we're seeing this constantly all the time, the lack of debate. And Eric, as part of AIM2, which is a party which, if the government had their choice, they would silence probably tomorrow because you're conservative. Does that concern you going forward with the hate crime legislation whereby if AIM2 says something, be it around transgenderism or gender ideology or immigration or whatever it happens to be, and somebody finds it offensive and says it's hate speech, you'll be silenced. Yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, that's what it looks like from reading uh, from reading through the, the the law that's been proposed. I suppose. Look, what AIM2 would like is look. We, we want to see a stable country. 
do we have a stable country now? I would say no. There's an awful lot of stuff going on. Uh, AIM2 would like to promote law and order. Uh, things like protecting private property. We, we, we need to listen to the people, not to dictate to the people. And for me, there's an awful lot of dictating to the people going on. Like, the, 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 green, the green agenda is dictating to us what we need to do. We need to get rid of cars. There was a talk last week about putting extra taxes on SUVs. We need to put, uh, we need to put buses and trains everywhere and shut down roads. Like, by, like Galway, uh, Senator Crockwell there is from Galway. And the bypass of Galway, I have cousins that live in Galway. Galway is an absolute hellhole for traffic. Oh, it but is. The bypass, it's a hellhole for traffic, but the bypass was binned because the Greens said so. And they're, so basically, I'd say every single person in Galway probably wanted that bypass, but it's been binned. So that's what's happening. So like, I was like, like we're talking about conservatism here, and I, and I hope people don't think that the conservatism that's being espoused by Trump and DeSantos in America is what we will get here. It's not. What we want to see here is common sense. We want to see normal people living a normal life. So you reward the people at work, you reward the people at work. But you have mm. a, you respect traditions, but you have a critical eye on those traditions. So what I mean, like, I want to go back to, the, like, you mentioned the church to start your conversation. You can respect what the church has done for the country, but you have to have a critical eye on it. You respect what charities do, but you need to have a critical eye on them. I'm very concerned with the power and the influence that's being wielded by NGOs. I really, really am. They seem mm. to have the ear of the governments. I'm a secondary school teacher, and I see how education has changed. So parents, pupils, and teachers give our input, it's, it's almost ignored, and they do what the third-level NGOs say. And next thing, so we had this whole thing about the junior cert. Again, I know we're going off topic slightly, but the teachers objected to parts of the new junior cert. We were concerned it would but be Norma tough. But Foley says it's coming in anyway, whether you want it or not. It, exactly. So it, it, it's happening. So we're, we're not being listened to. And you talked about that gripped in, media interview, Ben Scallon's uh, interview with Leo, and Leo said, yeah, there was 70%, but we, look, we're not going to listen to those because that could be just a campaign. So that's, that's what I'm concerned about. We need to listen to the people. There's a difference between listening to the people and making decisions and being populist. And that's what, that's what I hope as a country, a and can bring or what maybe people of, of similar mind to us can bring to it. We want normal people to be rewarded. We, ha we have to help people in need, but we also have to challenge people in need to say, do you actually need all this help that you're getting? Is it right? But we help the people that are genuine. And it's a bit like the, the immigration thing we're talking about. Ireland, we should help people coming from tough parts of the world. People that are genuine asylum seekers, we should help. But we have to be, we have to actually examine people that are coming here illegally. Like well, we, we also could go to the extreme, like Australia, and some people would class that as being ruthless as well. So you don't want to go down that direction either. You want to be reasonable about how you deal with it. Exactly. Look, we have 2,000 passports found in the toilets in Dublin airport. So 2,000 people deliberately either had fake documents that they dumped or they dumped their passports to come in here. So there's obviously something concerning there. And to, look, who wants to have a tent village outside your house or in your area? No one wants it. So we have to be cognizant that Ireland can, can host X number of thousand refugees. Well, then that's the number we can bring in. If Ireland wants workers to come in, well, then we give them a visa. They come in, they get a job and they work. That the state isn't paying for them for months or years inside in direct provision centers. There are people there that want to work, but the system is set up to keep them dependent on the state. And we don't want that. I, 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 no got, a, I got a complaint recently on the radio because a caller had said we need to look after our own. Do you believe that we need to look after our own line is racist or any, in any shape or form? Uh, it depends how it's delivered. But look, we have, like... But, but is, is, there, racist... is there... What's actually... I mean, don't get me wrong, unless you're saying something bad about refugees. Correct. To, to suggest that, you know, we need to look after our own. I'll give you an example. The reason it was said was this person had said that they knew somebody who'd been on the waiting list for a house for 10 years and they watched Ukrainians get in a modular home or something or whatever it was, okay? That was the point they were making. And they said, as much as they deserve... The, the Ukrainian people deserve to, you know, to be housed and looked after and, and welcomed and supported in whatever way possible, that if you're on the housing list 10 years, 
years and you've been paying taxes in this country all your life, that surely you should have some sort of preference or priority. Should that be the case? Uh, there is, look, there is definitely an element of truth to that. We had, we had thousands, we'd, we'd all close to 10,000 people homeless in Ireland for years and we couldn't find accommodation for them, we couldn't do anything for them. But then when, like in the last two years when there was an international crisis, we managed to find accommodation for 70,000 people. So what, what, what but we didn't really, we, that, well, we didn't really, we put most of them in hotels. Well, it, I mean, well, that's exactly, not really well, accommodation, is it? Well, that's going to destroy our tourism industry as well. But I, I'm running out of time and I, and I want to get back to you, Jared, in relation to uh, Senator or Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, of course, he's protected by freedom of speech in the United States, which is the First Amendment, which is a, a lot more protection than we'll ever have. I don't know whether we should have that in our constitution. Maybe we should have some sort of referendum around that. But the, the hate crime legislation, which I, I mentioned there to Eric, have you read the legislation yourself? The hate crime legislation, currently the group I'm a member of, which includes Michael McDowell, Ronan Mullen, Sharon Keoghan, Victor Boyan, myself, we currently have researchers working on that and we will be opposing the bill because of its almost draconian measures. Um, you know, the thoughts that I, I would have something stored in my house that might finish up having me charged with hate crime and stuff like this. I mean, we're, even we're if you never intended drugs. to use it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, people send me emails, Niall, every day of the week, and some of them are so absolutely outrageous yeah, and obnoxious. Yeah. I, I know. Um, you know. I receive those too. <laughs> will, they yes. come in, will they come in and start going through my email and say, oh, you're you're a proponent of hate speech? I, I Look, I, I, I think Eric has said it, I've said it, you've said it. A situation where somewhere close to 70% of the people of this country are against this legislation and they're using the whip in government to ram it through irrespective of what people think. And this is where the breakdown but, but, of but isn't, but isn't But isn't this what I said, I come back to NGOs running the country? Because we know that, well, I certainly know, it's NGOs that want that legislation. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I could condemn hate speech. I condemn, you know, being personal online and having a go at somebody and name calling or whatever it happens to be. I condemn all of that. But people should be allowed to debate. For example, let me just give you a line. If somebody goes online, for example, and says, I don't believe a man can be a woman. Well, then I'm sure it's people who are transgender online might consider that to be hate speech. I don't want to see the person being locked up for having an opinion. I, I totally agree with you. I couldn't, I couldn't disagree with a word you're saying. Uh, I mean, we are going so far away from the norms, from the mores that uh, I grew up with. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm a bit older than both of you guys, but we, we are moving. And I, I actually pity people like Eric, who's in the secondary school system, who are going to have to contend with the change that's coming. And uh, Transgender is only one of the issues. Uh, LGBT is uh, an issue that will have to be going through vision of books because they contain offensive language to who were they offensive and and where's the offense in it some of those books are hundreds of years old didn't offend anybody over hundreds of years are we going mad altogether well i i have no issue with many of the books that they've recently pulled away because some of them contain slavery or whatever it is i think that's really important for people to know because if we don't learn from the past we'll never learn in the future but in relation to say some of the other things that ronda santez spoke about that we just listened to there a few minutes ago uh, senator cogwell in, in relation to say climate policy he wouldn't have a huge amount of respect for the green party in ireland and he heard eric mention that even only recently uh, the green party want to get rid of suvs most of which in this country only have two liter diesel engines anyway but i mean realistically his climate policy 
policy doing a lot of damage to our economy and basically the quality of life that people are having where they're not even allowed to sell a bit of turf anymore or electricity bills and gas bills are gone through the roof, which is basically a direct result of climate policy, not just the war in Ukraine. Well, when you look at climate policy and when you look at the move, for example, to electric vehicles, and then you get video clips from uh, Africa and places like that for you, people mining cobalt with their bare hands, uh, you start to ask yourself, why, what is the actual carbon footprint of an electric car. I think an electric car will have to be somewhere close to 15 or 20 years old before it negates or before it balances out its carbon footprint. I, I, I believe that. I believe the figure actually is 120,000 kilometres. I, I remember reading this actually only recently. I think it's 120,000 kilometres on the car before it starts to have any benefit whatsoever because of the production and the manufacturing of the car itself. There you go. I mean, and most of the middle class Irish are getting rid of their cars after three years or changing their cars every three years. We tend to look at things in isolation and fail to look at the more global picture. And the green agenda is just one of these. I was speaking to some people recently about the reflooding of, of the bogland and they're saying, you know, we, we, we grant agents the deflooding of Bogland less than 20 years ago. Now we're trying to go back and reflood. It all seems to be. Do you remember less than 15 years ago, we were all told to go out and buy diesel cars? That's the that's, way that's, yeah. it, That was only 2007, by the way. The Green Party encouraged us all to get <laughs> diesel cars. Now, now we're the worst polluters in the world for even thinking about having them. And by the way, diesel cars nowadays, of course, with the, uh, the ad blue in it, are quite uh, good. Well, they're not as half anywhere close to what they were. They're actually some of them are better than petrol cars uh, when it comes to emissions. But anyway, just to both of you before I finish this up, because I want to go to a couple of callers. Um, would you, well, Let me ask you a very hypothetical question. Would you like to see somebody run the country like Ron DeSantis? Eric, you go first right. there. Point. Eric, you fire away. <laughs> um, Ron DeSantis, to me, has a number of policies that I would totally back. Um, now, he might go a bit far on some, but I can definitely put it this way. I would prefer Ron DeSantis to run the country than the, Gre than the Green Party run the country. I've got into politics to make, the, make Ireland a better place for my children, as simple as that. And I just want to see normal, sensible decisions be made for sensible people. And that's what most of us are. And that's not what we're getting at the moment. Will Ron DeSantis will bring America back towards normal sensibility. And hopefully then he, he'll stop in the sense, he'll stop in the middle before uh, before shifting further to the right. So that's what I would hope. So yes, someone like Ron DeSantis is probably needed in America to, to counteract what has happened. And I would like to see Ireland, we need to start moving back towards the centre a bit as well. Um, Jared, I mean, Ron DeSantis, you know, a very traditional person, family man, Women's rights may suffer when it comes to things like abortion, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but other things which would be more conservative might be valued by some people. So do you think he would make a good leader? Is that the type of leader Ireland needs? I don't think so. I think Ireland needs a strong leader who epitomizes what Eric was talking about. Doesn't go too far to the left, too far to the right, but sticks in the middle ground. Has a, a respect for what we are and what we came from. Uh, but has the strength and courage to lead us through this period of change. I'm somewhat concerned that um, it, now you have to be either extremely right or extremely left to be seen uh, as a credible leader. And you can see what that has done to the people of the United States, more divided society I don't believe you'll find anywhere in the world. 
so no, we we need a strong leader. If I was to go back, I would say maybe somebody like uh, Cosgrave, Cosgrave was a good leader in his time. Lamash was a great leader. In, okay. in my view, even but certainly he, he saw be... certainly he solved the housing crisis, didn't he? At the time, <laughs> he, of course, he, he was he, the first man to bring in social from, housing. He moved us from an agricultural society to an industrial society almost seamlessly. Absolutely, uh, and um, you know Cosgrove, for what he was, he was an extremely conservative man in many ways. He voted against his own government, uh, which was a strength of character. And mm. I, I don't mind somebody having a different view. To mind, providing that they have the strength of character to see it through or argue their position. What's missing in Irish society, Niall, is we can no longer argue. And you chose my colleague Sharon Kilgan a few moments ago. Sharon is very outspoken and has some very strong views. But we are in the houses of the, the, the Oireachtas here, the Parliament, and you should be able to express your views, argue your case, and not be castigated or run out of a committee. Or have personal insults. Or have personal insults made about it. And thank you very much indeed, Senator Jared Cogwell, and also thank you very much indeed to Eric Nelligal from Maine too. I appreciate both of you coming on the talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.